Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to the first two weeks of and may love the first of two weeks actually i'm patch one of your co-hosts and with me is someone i hope doesn't turn into a chair during our conversation that would be awkward my best friend and co-host aaron it would be awkward would you love me less if i turned into a chair i would not love you less but i might use you for a step stool if i needed to pick up something off of a top shelf so just know that going into this that you could get some abuse although it would be unintentional that's awkward kind of like when suzume sits on him on Suda, yes on the chair that wouldn't do that always gets me i'm like you realize what you're doing right now like <laughs> like you're, are you sitting on his face Is it's that, funny because you... <laughs> she kisses him too at one point and she's yeah, like it's weird and she asks she says is this where your mouth is and then and it's later and i'm like and you're you're sitting on his ma- okay let's not keep going with this train of thought i'll just not turn into a chair how about that hello thank you for having me yeah, happy to be here. Love anime. Let's go. Okay, <laughs> right. that 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 is settled. Okay, good deal. Uh, well, this week we turn to Makoto Shinkai's latest visually stunning story, Suzume, hitting theaters not once but twice this year with both a subbed and dubbed version of the film. Uh, it hit. Uh, I think it was uh, Crunchyroll recently. So uh, go out and check it out. If you're listening to this podcast, you either love anime, you love just being dedicated to our fun conversations, or you've seen the movie, any of which could be valid reasons to listen to Feel and Film. And so we're glad to have you. Uh, This is your official spoiler alert, as we always do. We like to talk about movies in detail. So just know that if you haven't seen the movie, it's worth checking out and it's worth listening to us afterwards. So here we go. Aaron, I don't know. Did you see this at TIFF? Or at SIF or WIF or whatever. <laughs> no, no, that was festivals uh, you've gone to. <laughs> that was next week's movie, The Boy and the Hair, and that was TIFF. Okay. Suzume came out in the spring. Got it. And I just saw it via a screener. I actually didn't get to go see it in theaters at all, which is a bummer because visually these movies are just spectacular. Yeah. And absolutely worthy of that. But it didn't have a very long run up here. And you weren't even able to get it where you were at the no. time. So we no, had to kind of postpone. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of those that I think for you and I, um, I think this is the, so Makoto Shinkai for us is the guy who we basically connected with and saying, hey, anime should be a part of our docket when it comes to the movies that we cover. And it spawned for me the summer of anime several years ago where I got to check out a number of different movies and uh you know makoto shinkai i don't think he was in that list but or maybe he was i don't know he probably was but we got beyond the studio ghibli the the miyazaki sort of everybody knows this stuff and this is his third entry this comes after weathering with you which came after the phenomenal your name and just kind of a brief overview there were a lot of expectations i mean he seems to hit all the right notes when it comes to obviously the visual storytelling and uh you know he's different in terms of just the way he tells stories sci-fi all this stuff so how did this one land for you in terms of your enjoyment of it i won't say compared to his other ones i don't like to do that necessarily but just sort of in the same family of movies that we've seen so far of his well first of all i think we can compare it because they are definitely of a kind especially these last three that you're talking about 
that are sort of fantasy slanted, but everything he does has a fantasy slash sci-fi angle to it, except like the Garden of Words, <laughs> I guess. But the rest of them seem to. And we've covered everything he's done going back. We did a whole big Makoto Shinkai run, which was awesome. So, you know, for me, I can't help but compare them in a lot of ways because he does the same beats. He uses young female protagonists quite often, things like that. There's always like a little bit of a romantic element. This one did not work as well for me mainly because I don't feel like it was as cohesive as his previous films, which I have found many of to be just all masterpieces. There are a lot of good things at work here. There's a nice exploration of national trauma. (laughs) And, you know, there's a little bit of a time travel element that comes into play here. For example, that's something that did not at all add anything for me to the story and i thought that he tried to do too much in this but there's moments the movie is of course gorgeous to look at it's our you know beautiful rad wimps score you and i really love what they've done uh, collaborating with this director and there are times when i mean i definitely get kind of locked into this and just really enjoyed it as somewhat of a kind of fantastical road trip movie, but it feels a lot more Studio Ghibli or Hayao Miyazaki-esque in its fantasy elements than we've seen from Shinkai in the past, which I think will be fun to kind of compare maybe next week even more so once we talk about The Boy and the Heron and how he tells his stories with, you know, the nothing has ever happened in a Shinkai movie like someone turning into a chair and being a sidekick. That is a completely new element for him. For, for and I sure. think, for again, sure. I think it works to varying effect. Um, you probably haven't played this. I, I wanted to make one comparison, but the, there's a game that came out. Final Fantasy 15 was the not last mainline entry because Final Fantasy 16 came out this year, but it is usually dogged on by a lot of folks, but it is probably one of my top two, maybe three, but probably top two, Final Fantasy mainline games. And that game is basically a road trip about these four dudes, one of which is a prince, and they're like driving around in a car all across the nation, fighting things and working towards fending off an invasion and a war and kind of working toward him realizing his potential along the way. And that's how I felt about this movie in so many ways was it's like a road trip going across Japan stopping these disasters as we go and so some of them look great but man yeah i just didn't fall in love with this the way i wanted to even after two viewings i tried so hard yeah and i think that with shinkai's stuff i know for me personally it takes at least a couple to really get a full-fledged like appreciation in some degree i remember i think it was so it took me two for your name. Your name I was really I was on board with the first time and really loved it the second time. I think it was Weathering with You that I saw in the theater the second time. It was part of I think a double feature where I'd seen no, it was a triple feature of movies that had gotten re-released that were getting ready for Oscar season because I was in San Antonio and it was like Weathering with You, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Ford v Ferrari. You know, three movies that I knew I liked but had only seen two of them in the theater, the latter two. And so coming out of Weathering With You, I was like, yes, the theater experience puts it over the top. But it's also because 
you need a roadmap going into his movies typically because they feel very Christopher Nolan-esque where you have these sci-fi elements that don't quite get explained as clearly the first time around. You're sort of getting acclimated. This is something that I don't know if it's just me, but when I walk into a movie that I don't have any kind of connection with from a trailer or I don't know the premise, it takes me about 10 minutes to 15 minutes to really get into what's going on. And when you couple that with something as a little bit unconventional from my standpoint as anime, which is not a bad thing. I just don't watch it on the regular. So anytime I watch anime, it's going to be like, all right, let's get kind of focused into this world. Plus Shinkai storytelling. It can be really, it can be challenging. This one didn't feel as challenging for me. Like I got it for the most part, but I I definitely agree with you in that this felt Ghibli-esque. This felt more like, okay, we're going to lean into the fantasy as opposed to the sci-fi, whereas Your Name and Weathering with You had those sci-fi elements that I think attract me to it because that feels, I won't say more Americanized, but it's because of my love for Christopher Nolan and even to an extent, um, you know, some other sci-fi writers like J.J. Abrams that I can connect with those pieces. And what makes Shinkai work, at least in part, is his ability to connect the natural with the with the unnatural or the supernatural. This is really more of two movies, I think, that are sort of blended. It's a road movie and it's a fantasy movie. And so where I found the trouble, kind of like you, was how do those mesh together? So watching this and getting acclimated to the first kind of what's going on part of the film, the first third. I mean, this is a two-hour movie, which was kind of surprising because normally these are like you know 90 minutes 100 minutes things like that so the first third of it is all about learning about this mythology uh this place called the 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 ever after housing these worms that are the cause of these earthquakes that happen throughout japan and they have to be contained by keystones and closers which by the way my brain went to like suits and i'm like there's a lot uh, you know so there's a lot of mythology (laughs) to take in yeah there there is and it's it's interesting but as you introduce more mythology, you have to be able to explain it. And if you're not from Japan, what I the appreciation is lost on me, um, not because of Shinkai or anything. It's because I'm not Japanese. He has a way of taking the world around him, the world of Tokyo, the world of Japan, and this idea of earthquakes and creating a sense of why does this happen? And I actually kind of think that's cool. I think there's a spirituality, a religious, like, how do you explain the unexplainable? Like, why are there so many earthquakes? And this was kind of a cool way to explain it, to give it a supernatural thing that has a story attached to it is really neat. The challenge that I had is that you intermix it with Suzume's story of dealing with grief and growing up without a mom. And it really felt like he was trying to mesh these two pretty great ideas into one. I think he kind of succeeds on the fantasy side. Like I think if he bled into one or the other, he could do either really well. And I was a little hesitant. Like I'm not a big fantasy guy. Uh, I'm not one of the Miyazaki. Like this is, you know, my thing. Um, But I think Shinkai does it well. I think when you add her element to it as a road trip, as her own personal like hero's journey, it gets a little muddled because I don't know like what her role is by the end of the movie or what I'm really supposed to 
care deeply about. Like I do care about some things because the music's great and the cinematics are fantastic and there's some great lines, but I kind of feel a little cheated. Like, did she earn this? Did I, did I feel this? And so I was left a little wanting and I'm going to watch it again at some point. Um, but I really did feel like it was lesser than these other two. It wasn't quite the the nail on the head that, that I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think it's just, it's kind of the way that she is used as a means of exploring that grief and that trauma from the, gosh, I don't want to misstate the name of it. Is it the Fukushima earthquake? Um, I can't no, remember. Not, it's the one in it's Hunshu, the Hunshu, the one in on March eleventh, the one that's alluded okay. to. Is that the one? The big yeah, one? is Fukushima. Yeah. Maybe Fukushima is like the nuclear break. Or, it, I, I think know. it was. <laughs> Sorry, been <laughs> watching Godzilla. Disaster. Too. I just watched Godzilla too, so you know I got the whole Godzilla's created by that nuclear breakdown on my uh, mind. Anyway, I think because you know she lost a parent in that earthquake, and so she's always kind of wondered what it would have been like, what her life would have been like she's sort of felt like a burden to on her aunt um, who took her in and is taking care of her. I, I don't mind any of that. I just mind taking the extra time to make the ever after be part of this because I think you're, you're mixing two mythologies and that one mythology that doesn't actually have a full set of rules in place right. is enough because we ought, we have the doors and we have the cool worms which obviously look tremendous. This is where Shinkai has an enormous amount of strength here is visualizing, uh, putting something on screen as a way of depicting a kind of a, a concept, a metaphorical idea or whatever. And they look tremendous. And, and so it makes for this engaging experience. That you can't take your eyes off of, um, which is exciting. But then we have these coming out of the doors, right, in this place ever after. And we have to we have to accept the fact that there are these two things called keystones, an eastern one and a western one, that for some reason keep these doors closed if they're both in place. And on top of that, there's some random reason that there is a generation of human beings, I guess, or magical gifted human beings that are called closers that are responsible for spending their entire lives going around, ensuring that these doors stay closed to protect people from the natural disasters that would occur from the worms. So that's essentially the mythology that we have to accept. That's a lot to me. That's a lot because you don't tell me why any of this occurs. We don't know why the doors occur to stop. Who's causing the natural disasters from beyond the doors? Why are there closers? Uh, yada, yada, yada. But then on top of that, you then want to throw in, oh, but this is also something we call the ever after, and this is where all the souls reside, and oh, we can go in here, and now we're going to time travel, and we're going to show you your past self, and you can give it the chair, and then it can start this cycle, and that's where I think, you know, that's been Shinkai's bread and butter his whole career. <laughs> Time travel has been like a major element of what he's done. And he's done it so well and masterfully so in a couple of movies, Your Name being one of them, obviously. This part of it is where it just starts to like not all work for me and become too muddled. Um, and, it, and so it, for me, Patrick, that part of the movie 
lessens the impact of the rest on me because now I'm trying to wrap my head around too much at one time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. And I think what you have are two halves of a whole that don't quite make the thing complete. So all those things that you said, I completely agree with. There's an, there's an incompleteness to explaining the why behind all this. Big concepts, really big concepts, worthy of an explanation, though. And I think it gets lost because Soda tries to explain to us by explaining to Suzume, here's who we are. But we never get that reason, like, why are you special? soda why, why is your generation that way where you just picked and there's even an interesting conversation where she's she feels guilty because he's going to grad school and so it's like this okay so you're not a complete fantasy dude like you have this great flowing long exactly. hair but but you're just a dude that works in a grocery store or has every once in a while he gets a call and it's like it's oh a, it's, hey gotta go prevent a natural disaster yeah, i'll be yeah, back in like, a couple of weeks let me take vacation i hope you yeah. saved up some pto suda it, exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's weird and there's a there's a compellingness to these two characters that just doesn't quite complete itself and it's interesting to to watch this because I'm going through this and it almost feels like there's a, like a two part movie here. There's a part one and a part two. Part one ends when Soda as the chair becomes the keystone. And I'm like, are, are there like 30 to 45 minutes of credits? Is this what's happening? Are, are we in an episode of Invincible where there's like a lot more happening after the credits? This, this is what it feels like. But then we get the second half of her trying to go after him and wanting to release him. I really had trouble believing her affection for him. And so I think this is the other thing that 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 I had trouble wrapping my head around which is how did what is her what is her connection to him? Is does she is she in love with him? Is this a relationship or I mean I don't know. And she gets scolded by his granddad and then by the end of the movie when the cat replaces him as the keystone who we're told can't do that anymore i was almost expecting is the cat like a reincarnated version of her younger self or someone else or her mom and what we get is this like okay why did this not happen like 45 minutes ago like this could have been a nice hour-long show uh, where <laughs> she like he doesn't have to sacrifice himself she can just pull him out and then put the cat back in and i those are the things that like the bigness of that idea of a keystone and replacing it just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense because I didn't know like, where was the sacrifice? What was the thing that I needed to feel a loss for? Because by the time we get to the cat re-sacrificing himself as the keystone, then we get this odd thing where she goes through the gate and she talks to her younger self and she says, Hey, just letting you know your future you is going to, have better days and that's great but i never felt that thing be set up like i never felt like we were getting ready for her to run into her younger self or to find uh an opportunity to help her younger self grieve or get past this and and so i felt like there was some time travel elements here that shinkai was like oh wait you know what i gotta put that in there because that's part of my mo and this felt like an afterthought in the after life or the yeah. after whatever it's called <laughs> <laughs> it's after ever after an ever like after life after thought yeah an ever after thought it was what it was yeah there you go there you go perfect 
Yeah, no, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. That's why I was saying I think it's him trying, to, not in a negative sense. I'm not saying, oh, he's trying to copy and mimic. Miyazaki is a hero to him and is, is an idol. It's someone who he adores his work. You know, he aspires to be like, he treats him as a master and himself kind of as an apprentice that has come along under him, which that's what most anime fans as well feel about the two. I feel like this was him trying to be Miyazaki and you're right. Then at the end, he's like, Oh, but I got to find, I got to make sure people know it's me. So we got to do time travel and romance somewhere. The romance didn't work for me either. Yeah. Because they spend no time together as humans getting to know each other and their entire time spent together as him, him being a chair is just a series of kind of comedic, a comedic romp across the country to close a couple doors and, you know, she meets him very simplistically. It's it's she he's walking down the street and it's like, oh, he's attractive, I guess, is what her thinking is. And so she's like, let me go find the mysterious attractive guy and see what he's up to. And then he's a chair and it that's it. And it just I didn't connect on that level either. He feels much older to me. Not that age mm-hmm. necessarily matters, but I get this very much more mature vibe than like the 17 year old girl that she is from just their personalities. I guess I should say, I mean, he definitely feels like someone who has carried the weight of doing this job for a long time. Whereas she's just like, Oh yeah, I go to school and stuff. Um, Yeah. So yeah, the romance didn't, didn't do anything for me either. And I felt like it was kind of tacked on and, and unnecessary. And then the cats don't make any sense in the way that they're again Miyazaki they're cute they they I understand they what they are in the story mythologically speaking but at one point Daijin the the white cat <laughs> he specifically says the reason I'm doing this I'm making Suta the chair so that I can be with Suzume and I'm like but okay so if you made him the chair to be the keystone so that you could be with Suzume. That's why you want to be free. Then why are you running away from her? Like You're not, wouldn't maybe this be a conversation? I don't know. It just feels strange the way that it leaves her and leads her to these doors, but like doesn't ever actually act like it wants to be with her, but supposedly yeah. that's its motivation. And so I got a little lost there. And then when you introduce the other one, the Eastern one that like, evil black keystone version that I kind of got lost on me. Well, that, that is where I got confused too, because the, the, there was a great moment of tension where she's talking to her aunt from the car and her aunt basically belittles her and says, I never wanted you. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, the truth's coming out. What are you kidding me? And then we see a black cat behind her manipulating her. And then she passes out. And now the black cat is part of their kind of road crew. Like that's, I, I don't understand what was going on. And I didn't understand why the white cat wanted to be with her because she gave him milk and, and food. I mean, was that what it was? I also don't understand how she released the keystone. I didn't see that. I, maybe I missed it, but she just opened the door and just kept going back and forth. Was she like messing with something? I, I don't know. And so all these things sort of happen and then there's no real reconciliation to why. So when she cries because uh, because the white cat becomes the keystone again, like I'm thinking you run away from her. Like you said, you run away from her for most of the entire movie. 
for the same reason that I don't get why she's attracted or why she has this connection to Sota. Why does she, why does she cry when the cat goes back to being the keystone? Like if, if it were me and I'm watching this movie, my expectation was that she would sacrifice for Sota. Like she would become the keystone. And this whole bit with her is like the whole thing with her younger self was just odd. It was out of left field. Like I never felt like that was motivating her to do anything apart from just having a moment of therapy with herself to say things will get better. But that never, that never connected to the door, to the gates. It never connected to the mythology of these worms. Like it would have been neat to see that, Hey, the grieving of a person is what causes these earthquakes because it creates these worms. Like, here's what I felt. I felt kind of like, I'm going to give a little bit of spoiler for season four of stranger things. So stop listening for 15 seconds. This idea of Vecna who, who like latches on to the grief of a person in order to eventually take their power. And I felt like that same thing was happening that could have happened here where you have this worm that because of the grief or the loss, because of the fact that like, I love the concept of these gates happening at places of disaster. I was like, Oh, that's cool. It's like, it's like Chernobyl. Like that would be where a gate was until I realized that it was the, it wasn't the, the gate the place wasn't the the spot it was it was ruined because of the earthquake like it was the it was the worm that did it and so it kind of let me down because i was like there's something really interesting about these places that are in ruins like old abandoned amusement parks or these uh, abandoned cities that um nobody goes to and they have history and that's why these gates live where they live but I think what the movie was telling me is that that's where earthquakes actually happened. And if we're meant to believe what the story's telling us, then it's because of the worms that do it. So I don't, again, all this stuff sort of felt like it wasn't explained well enough to me. And so I was left going, I like some of what I understood. <laughs> like that's really where I was left going. And by the end of the movie, I liked the characters. I love, I liked Suzume and, and Sota and everyone that we're meeting. But it just didn't feel complete like I was – I had someone's journey. I had part of hers. I had maybe his. And I didn't quite know where to latch on myself as a spectator to go, whose story is this? Is it, I mean, the title card says it's Suzume's, but I kind of feel like it's Soda's too. Yeah, I, I think I think it is. I think it's both. And yet, you're right. It's sort of – he disappears for a while because he gets locked in to the door or as an ever – or into the ever after as the keystone while she goes on – the rest of the road trip but see that parts of that is what is enjoyable like the fact that she meets the various people along the way and she sort of gets to experience this coming of age type of summer type it is what it amounts to even though it doesn't happen over summer happens over you know a period of weeks or whatever but she meets chica who just is a kind person that takes her in and helps her out for a night and then she ends up staying with or uh, taking catching a ride with Rumi and staying with her and and she plays with the kids and kind of watches them for a while and you know I, I thought that that stuff was enjoyable that that's kind of the place I landed with the whole movie is that nothing wasn't enjoyable I had a good time with it I will always I think he may he creates good characters I think there's a good a strong basis for their personalities i liked all of these individualistic things 
it just doesn't come together in a way that wows me or moves me like almost everything else he's done. I wasn't left yeah. with that sense. I definitely was left with a sense of respect of what he's doing to use this as a way to talk about these natural disasters that have ravaged the nation. And I wouldn't begrudge anyone from Japan for connecting with this on a deeper level than we do because we haven't gone through this particular thing. I was reading something about how, you know, they just refer to this event as I believe 311 or 311, the same way that we would refer to like 911 as just 911. So this is a big deal, right? For them. And so there is a much heavier processing that is occurring through this for that nation. And so I appreciate that. It yeah. just doesn't work as well for me as a So I think American. I think that brings up an interesting point that there is a there is a place for culturally specific storytelling. And I don't think it would be inappropriate for us to say that we don't connect to it because we don't live in Japan because we don't have earthquake notifications on our phones. Interestingly enough, I was doing some updates to my phone and I was looking through some of the settings. There is an actual earthquake alert that is not on on my phone. Um, because because by default, most people who buy phones in the U.S., unless you live on the West Coast where they're more apparent, you're not going to have that. It's going to be more of like you know thunderstorms, tornadoes, uh, hurricanes if you live in the South. And so when I think about this, I was thinking about the movie. I think it's Red, the Pixar movie that came out a couple of years ago uh, that had to do with um, you know the story, telling the story of of a girl kind of coming into her own and dealing with the I don't call it the female problems, and I don't want to I don't want to diminish it to just that. But one of the things that came out of that uh, conversation or throughout its release was just this idea that this is a story specific to a particular age group, uh, a particular experience that not everybody experiences. Like girls deal with this, boys don't, and that's okay. And, and we don't have to like something just by default because it should be amazing or because it's it's done by a particular director or a particular uh, gender of a director. And I think with this movie, what Shinkai does well is he isolates to the world that he knows. So I said, I remember saying this in the Your Name episode that I love how he depicts Tokyo, like this robust, industrial, beautifully lit city that's just bustling and busy and just all kinds of like everything industrial. And I love that he isolates this story. Like even when Soda's talking about the Keystones, the Eastern and the Western, but it's not Eastern. Like at first I thought he was thinking, oh, Western as in like the United States. No, no, no. Western as in Western Japan, Eastern Japan. Like this is very much almost like a love letter to his country. And I think if you were to watch or evaluate an audience, even from China, they might have a little bit of dissonance to that because they don't understand those things that are important. So I think there's something to be said about there's a little bit of just understood loss that comes from an audience, a Western audience that watches this. It doesn't diminish the success of the movie. I think it just takes away some of that connectivity, whereas Your Name and Weathering With You, there were so many elements that I connected with as a person. And I think that's where uh, more of the global success stories live. I mean, people, all, a lot of people know what a superhero is. People can connect with superhero movies. It's difficult to connect with these more intimate love letters to a city um, in the ways that like Ghostbusters 
sort of is a love letter to the city of New York in a lot of ways. So I, I think that what he does from that standpoint is really well done. And he reminds us as he shows her, like at one point there was a great moment where they're traveling north, I think, and she's on a train and you know, so does the chair. She's like, dude, I miss Mount Fuji? Really? Like you didn't think to stop? He's like, oh yeah, sorry about that. And it kind of surprised me because, you know, when you don't live in a country, you think, oh, everybody has been to this place. Well, I haven't been to the Statue of Liberty. I haven't been to Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I live in I live in the U.S. and I, I should, quote unquote. So it's a reminder to us that Japan's big. It's it's an island. I mean, it's it's not huge, but it's it's big. And I like the isolation approach. I think that's I think that's a good thing. Um, I don't think it diminished the movie. I think that for us. We wanted that that more cohesion, but I did I did like these characters. I love the back half, especially where we get to meet these new people. Um, his buddy, who's a teacher, uh, with the convertible. I thought this is some really good like um, levity right here with the with the car, and like it's old, and he can't open the uh, or he can't close the the top there. It's just fantastic, and we get to you know get to know his aunt more. But again, you know, you look at this relationship that she has with this other guy and it's, I don't know if it's a relationship or if it's just a friendship, it doesn't matter because they weren't really spending a lot of time there, but just a lot of, there were a lot of fun little elements that were put in that were just not quite there in terms of like, Oh man. Yeah. This is a great through line. There were a lot of half lines that I think ended up with a couple of emotional moments that I was like, Oh, I'm on the verge of tears, but why? I don't know. So yeah, it was, it's enjoyable. I agree. I think it's enjoyable. Uh, one that I will definitely watch again just to kind of get more of it. And um, and for a guy that doesn't like fantasy, I think it it definitely kind of connected with me. I could I could get those things. I love the I like the worm concept and that whole idea of gates and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I did, too. I think that's he never, ever misses when it comes to that, whether it's five centimeters a second, whether it's your name, whether it is the weather and weathering with you, like whatever his primary element is that he's using as a device to kind of fantastically explore things, the comet being in your name, you know, like the, he never ever misses. Those are awesome. Literally like by the definition of that word, I think we kind of take it for granted because we say it so much, but they are awesome, all inspiring visually conceptually. So those are great. And while I don't, think that the score is for me quite as good as probably your names you know there is one main theme in this one that is gorgeous that i really do love Um, and i do think it is just a, a perfect collaboration i much like we'll talk about this next week miyazaki and joe hisaishi who was my number five most listened to on spotify this year uh, but that they're longtime collaborators as well. And, you, you know, Hisaishi's stylistic music in Miyazaki films, it, it you just you expect it. It's there. It, it works. And Radwimps has become that for Shinkai in a way that absolutely I'd be disappointed if he puts out a movie and it's not Radwimps. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think that I co-signed both of those things. And, um, you know, the there were a couple of theme moments that I, I wanted to like, OK, I need to. Again, my second viewing is going to be like, okay, I'm going to call that out and figure out where that is in the actual in the movie, uh, because there were, I, I think the way that it, it's not dominant as as it is in your name, 
and there there aren't as many songs. So there's a score, and then there's the actual soundtrack. And I think Red Wimps really goes on full display in your name. This is more subdued. This is the I think almost like there's one song that I remember in the movie, and then there's the the end in credits, which by the way is basically like a post credit scene with all the credits that roll. I was like, oh, oh wait, there's more stuff. Okay, well, okay, here's what happens. Here's some resolution here. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't think he ever goes wrong with those two elements. And I don't ever want to diminish him to being the visual anime guy, like the guy who's always going to do something that's like you could put any scene or any any image on your computer as a screensaver or as a background. I don't ever want to diminish him to that because I think he is a great storyteller. I think in this instant, he was sort of reaching a little bit further into the Miyazaki world than he probably should. And I hope that like his next entry is more, okay, I'm going to get back to Shinkai. I'm going to get back to who I am and and try not to reach as far because obviously Miyazaki is not done doing movies. So I don't need to pay tribute to him just yet. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm, I'll look forward to, even if it's not on the air, hearing from you personally what you think of it when you do get a second watch with the full understanding of where it's going to go from A to B, which I agree with you definitely helps out with any movie like this. I mean, you and I just love these genres where you're dealing with I mean, the time travel stuff and the fantastical mythologies, but it does take – you can enjoy it so much more if you have an idea of what's happening and then you watch it from start to finish. With that. Yeah, and I think I think we're both on on record as saying that the dubs are usually more entertaining because we're you know because we're so enraptured with everything going on visually that we don't have to worry about the the subtitles. So I I definitely waited for the dub to come out before I experienced the first time, and I'll probably continue to do that. It's great voice cast, uh, really fantastic. I love I love uh, uh, Sude's voice. I think his is really just sort of like subdued and kind of calm, and uh, so the moments when he has to yell, it feels a little bit more abrupt like he's like really panicked but most of the time when he's talking to her it's just like you're talking to this like easygoing guy like even when he's when she yells at him he's like i'm sorry suzume i didn't mean to it's just real like a, almost like a, a soft whisper with a little bit of a you know it's nice he's got a he's got a face for radio that's for sure even as a chair <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's going to do it for this edition of feeling film we are coming back next week with some more anime. Miyazaki is coming out of retirement. He's become, in my opinion, the share of the anime world, uh, saying he's going to retire. But this is actually, I think, something that a lot of people are looking forward to. I think it's about a decade after The Wind Rises. So it's it's been a minute since he's released something. Aaron, you've obviously seen it. I uh, haven't told me anything about it. So I'm looking forward to the first reaction next week as we get into that discussion. In the meantime, keep watching movies. Keep listening. Uh, Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.